Anyway, we'll talk about that on another service. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19, and I'm going to read verse 14, then we're going to go over to the 27th chapter, Deuteronomy, and verse number 17. Deuteronomy 19 and 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. Deuteronomy chapter 27 Verse number 17, when they stood at the mountain of Ebal, God commanded that these curses, and when he was, as I taught you last Sunday, the, a curse was not a hex. It was God's hand withheld in essence And he was going through all of the things that would cause God to not be able to open his hand to them. One of them is found in the 17th verse. And he said, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is Everyone or anyone that removeth his neighbor's landmark. The book of Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 28. The wise man Solomon said it like this. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Chapter 23 and verse number 10, again he said, Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. I want to, for a few moments tonight, talk to you about the value of landmarks and I pray that God will hope help all of us to have uh, a heart that is open to receive the word everybody said in Jesus name amen you may be seated the life of Israel was defined by the principles that God gave them in his laws and covenants and the commands that he had given to them in their journey from bondage to the promised land. Part of their identity, part of their posterity was wrapped up in the fundamental principle of landmarks, of understanding the value what they are there for, and why they must be respected. A landmark was nothing more than a rock or some kind of marking that designated a boundary. It was a point of reference. It was a place of reference where one could get their orientation or they could find their location or they could position themselves and they could identify where they were. And it gave distinction to the land that they were standing on. That point of reference is so critical in building a life. I learned a valuable lesson many years ago when I first started doing carpentry work. I thought I knew Uh, how to do certain things, but I learned a very costly lesson about the importance of having a reference point and having a single reference point. I had to 
cut a number of boards that were the same length to go into a closet, making some shelving. And uh, I think there was part of them were for a bookcase. And, and so I measured out the length and I cut it exactly and I remeasured it to make sure that I had the right uh, length and I was pleased and so trying to be smart and work harder or faster and, and, and wiser, I just laid that piece I had cut down. I marked it and I got my saw and I cut the board and I picked the first one up and I put it up in its place and and so I went through this process of cutting all the rest of these boards and the top one I would take off and lay it to the side. The bottom one had been marked. I would cut it. And then when I cut it, I would take it and use it to mark the next one and the next one. And some of you are smiling. You think you couldn't be that dumb, Brother Hughes. But some of you were there before, maybe a long time ago. But after I'd got them all cut, and now it's time to start putting them together. It was amazing how those numbers began to shrink. And I I sat there. I didn't have enough money to buy a lot of extra material to begin with. And so I had to eat all of my profit. And I learned a lesson that you never throw away your reference point. You, you always have to have something to go back to because that's where you get your proper orientation. When they were laying out our new building, the curved part uh, proved a, a little bit of a problem for our foundation crew. And the reason was because on the drawings from the steel company, they did not give the right points where the anchor boats were supposed to go. And they were here for quite some time. They had put the, the batter boards up and then they had moved them and they had moved them again. And and I, I could tell that they weren't happy with what was going on. And finally, one of them, the the, the, the man who runs the crew, he he thought, you know what? I need to call the architect. And so he called my brother, and, and my brother gave him a reference point. And when he gave him that reference point, he was able to then go back and lay out the configuration and mark every one of them. And I watched them yesterday and the day before as they began to put those pieces in place. They fit like they were supposed to fit because of a reference point. If they had not had that reference point, they had already put some of those anchor bolts in the wrong place and the building would not have fit together. They would have had to do other things to help make it work properly. My point is this. You can never undervalue the the, the importance of a reference point in your life, a landmark, if you want to use that word or... Think of it in those terms. There's got to be a defining point from which you begin. And I want to tell you that for all of us tonight, we better make sure that we make our defining point in life. This old black book right here, because it's still the best roadmap to another world and is still the best understanding of how life is supposed to be lived. Amen. A landmark was to help define ownership and a man's possessions were connected to that. His future and posterity were all wrapped up in that landmark. And because they were uh, of the nature they were, they could easily be tampered with that someone that was not honest and someone who was trying to get unfair advantage could move one of those. But what they didn't seem to realize is that that move that they made had a trickle-down effect, not just to the current people involved, but in the future that was to come, the future of their 
families, the future of their children was going to be affected by what they moved or shifted because they wanted a little more or somebody wanted to be greedy. And so it was important that they not mess with and move those landmarks, that they not delve into uh, trickery or deceit and find a way to to conveniently relocate them so that they could enlarge themselves. They were places of remembrance many times in Israel's journey through life. They, they had moments when God was very real to them and God proved himself powerful to them. And those places, God said, I want you to set up a memorial when they came to Jordan. I want you to take 12 rocks out of the river and put them on the other side as a memorial. And another thing he said, I want you to do is put the same number of rocks in the bottom of the river. Although you can't see it, there's always a memorial somewhere to remind you of how you got where you are. You didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here on your own accord, but somebody had to help get you where you are. And God said, I don't want you to ever forget that you're here because I led you here. How important that landmark was. And they were instructed that when your children come by and look at these 12 stones and want to know what is this about, you better know what to tell them. You better know what to say to them, that they would too embrace and they would value what has been put before them. My brother and I were talking this afternoon and he made this statement to me and it startled me because of its truth and because of its soberingness. But all it takes is for one generation to quit telling the next generation the importance of a memorial and the next generation will not even know what a memorial is. Because the Bible said there was another generation that arose that knew not God nor Joseph nor the Miracles that had happened in Egypt and in the wilderness. And all it took was one generation that quit talking about landmarks. They quit talking about reference point. They quit talking about how important the word of God. They quit talking about how important that living a clean, godly, holy life was. They quit talking about what it took to be saved and what it took to be born again. And all it took was one generation for that to be wiped out of their memory. Amen. One generation. Not only did God tell Israel to build a monument of stones, but he also told them to build an altar there on the other side of the Jordan. And I read that passage today again. And the scripture says that God told them to build it for this purpose, for burnt offerings, for peace offerings, so that it can be a place where you eat and where you rejoice. I want to tell you something about an altar. An altar is not always a place just to die on. An altar is a place where you can learn to rejoice over what God has done in your life. And sometimes we need to come to the altar just to offer a peace offering and an offering of thanksgiving for God's goodness and God's mercy and His grace. And that landmark must never Never be moved from our hearts. Don't ever move the altar because that is a lifeline to your soul and your family. It was a, a landmark was a way for finding your way. It was literally in many instances a signpost that gave direction. I remember several years ago in Florida there were some young boys that uh, decided that they were going to play a little chicanery and the, they went out and they took some signs that were giving directions and, and they moved them and they changed them around so that when people that were driving down the highway, if they didn't know where they were going, 
they would make a wrong turn. And one of them was a road that led down and there was a bridge that had been washed out and wasn't even functional. It was closed off. But they turned that and, and they, 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 I, I think they, they took away perhaps the barricade just dr- trying to be mean and, and ch- mischievous. But what wound up being worse was that people lost their lives because somebody was tinkering with the signpost and somebody was trying to turn the, I, I don't like the way that looks. I don't like where that's pointed. You know what you and I need to come to grips with? You don't have to like it, but you better learn how to appreciate it because there's a lot of things in life that if you don't learn how to appreciate, you're going to lose them and the value of what you've lost is irreplaceable. And because of that, these were sacred monuments. They were considered to be sacred. The message was so clear. You mess with a landmark, you're going to be cursed. You're going to be cursed. God is not going to be able to bless you. His hand will not be open to you. And God intended for them to understand that boundaries and lines and borders and limits were not restrictions, but they were protections. Aren't you thankful for protections? Aren't you thankful for safeguards? We are living in a culture right now that is rapidly tearing down every safeguard in our society. They are tearing down everything that is of order. And there is chaos that is coming into our country right now in unprecedented levels. And all of it goes back to the fact that somewhere behind it all is a spirit that said, I don't like where that's at. I'm going to move it. And so we have seen gradually the moving away, the doing away, the, 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 the marginalizing of certain principles in life and in our lives. And by doing that, we have now come to a place where we are in such chaos as a country that we can't even sit down as, as a government and function properly. We are so dysfunctional right now. We need to go... Well, we, we, I need to get on to another subject. But I will tell you what needs to happen. There needs to be a Holy Ghost revival that sweeps through Washington, D.C. We need something that will shake us to our spiritual core and bring us back to the understanding of how valuable our landmarks are. Without them, chaos will come. They were what helped preserve their prosperity and their posterity and their possessions. And they helped them have peace. Amen. If you want peace, follow the guidelines. If you want peace, play by the rules. If you want peace, learn how to live by the principles that are set forth in the word of God. Because there's no book in the world that can compete with it. There is no self-help book anywhere that's been written. As a matter of fact, most self-help books have found their origin in this book. Because you can't trump the creator's understanding of what makes life work best. He knows how I can live at my optimum level. And if I learn the value of this book and I put it in my heart and I hide it away in my spirit, it will help me to prosper and know peace. I want to tell you why some people aren't, there's there's no peace in their home or in their life right now, is because they're ignoring the word. I don't want to get off on a sidetrack, but I, I feel like I need to preach a little bit right now to some people. You can't ignore God's principle and say, well, I just don't know if, I don't think I believe that. Go back. You know what? God's shall not has not changed to a thou might. And whatever God considered an abomination, there's one thing about God that you need to understand. He changes not. 
In him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God doesn't wake up every morning and say, okay, what are we going to do today? His law has been established from the foundation of the world. His principles have been put forth. And, and when we learn how to embrace them and appreciate them and value them and quit fighting against them, they prosper our lives and they bless us. But the reason there's no peace in homes right now in many cases is because a father is not being a father, a biblical father, and a mother is not being a biblical mother. A mother's too interested in being a teenager and being her kid's best friend when she needs to be a mother and needs to know how to lead them. And a father's too disinterested and too disconnected and too into his own selfishness to understand how important his influence over that family is. I want to tell you how to have peace. Go back and read the book. And start living out of the book. Praise God. Well, I'm getting sidetracked. God intended for us to understand the importance of boundaries. They're not bad. They're not evil. They're not wicked. They're for my good. I'm thankful for those protections. Aren't you thankful for protections? Amen. Let's get comfortable with that. You know, some people come in, they look at you, they think, man, you, you're all bound up. I'm, I've never been more free in my life. Well, you, you, there's so many things you can't do. You, you got that all wrong. I can do everything I want to do. The thing is, when you really fall in love with him, there are just some things you quit loving and other things that you start loving, and that will automatically take you away from a lot of confusion in your life. Come on, let's praise him right now. Thank you for the landmarks, Lord. Help me to understand and preserve them. The order... Of their life was determined by landmarks. It hasn't changed. Our order in life is affected by how much we value landmarks. You want to create chaos? You just ignore the rules. You ignore your responsibility. You ignore what you don't like and hope that it will go away and watch chaos come in. Man, when you see someone that is going through trouble of that nature, there's one thing you can clearly understand. They do not understand the value of a landmark. They need a reference point that doesn't change. That one that I spoke of earlier in which there is no shadow, there's no variableness, There's no changing. There's no vacillation. I am the same and I change not. Amen. That's the reference point. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? How should I act? And when you begin to understand that, all of the chaos and the confusion is displaced with order. Amen. When the Spirit of God is allowed to come into any situation, He will drive out chaos. He will drive out disorder. He will push away darkness when you allow His presence to come in. If you don't believe that, go back and read Genesis 1. When He moved on the face of the deep and all the chaos and all the darkness had to flee and begin to take orders because the Maker had spoken and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he separated the light and darkness. And I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it to you. We better make sure that we don't become so smart and we don't become so rich and so educated that we get the two of those confused. We better make sure that what God separates, we keep separated in our life. 
He said that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And because you are holy, you are not supposed to live as others live. You want to read the book of Corinthians, you're going to find him talking about coming out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, and have no works with those unfruitful works of dark. Have no connection with those unfruitful works of dark. Don't even be associated with that. Why? Because you're the temple of the Lord. Amen. You're a holy place. And God, God is a holy God. I know that word is out of, out of the dictionary. It's not in, you probably won't find holy, H-O-L-Y, in the urban dictionary. You won't find it in most churches. You will not hear it mentioned in most settings because it makes us uncomfortable. But you know what? A holy God ought to make us aware of our sinfulness. It ought to make us aware of our need of him, not to be afraid of him, but to understand that that holy God loves me so much that he was willing to wrap himself in flesh and come and die on a cross that I could be free, that his blood could cleanse my life of every sin and I could be brought back into the right relationship with him. And so I'm not afraid of a holy God, but I need to be aware that he has not changed his character. Amen. And he said, be ye holy, even as I am holy. When you see a landmark, you need to remember that it's there for a reason. Before you start changing things, you need to ask, why? Why is that here? Why do we do this? Why do we live like this? There's no problem with asking why. If you really want an answer, I can give you an answer. But you need to ask yourself, why is this here? It's here for a reason. And when I understand that reason, I embrace it and I am blessed. There's something that needs to be protected. It's something that we need to understand that landmarks were there for protection. The protection of God's people for their inheritance. And when we understand the value of landmarks, there's going to be a protection, a protective shield that comes to our lives that can be found nowhere else. And when you remove that, you cause confusion and you allow for drift. And it doesn't take much drift to change the landscape. Do you know that in the Middle East where sand is the basic top, uh, basic substance of the soil, that the landscape is continually shifting and the winds that continually blow are continually moving those dunes. And you know what they say? They say that the only thing that will stop a drift is a rock. Amen. A rock will stop the drift. And there is a rock. Yes, there is. There is a rock that when you learn to embrace him and incorporate him, he will stop whatever drifting might be going on in your life. But the further you get away from him, the easier it is to let it slip away. There's a clear message in a landmark that this is important. Everybody say that. This is important. If it was an altar, that altar meant to them, this altar is important. If it was a stone pile of stones, a memorial, that pile of stones was not there for curiosity's sake. It was there because this is important. 
The reason you have a book called the Bible tonight is not because somebody just thought it would be wise, but because God has made sure that his word could be preserved through the years and that we would embrace it even now and understand its word and receive its blessings into our life. Thank God for landmarks. Thank God. This this place is important. God established the church as a critical part of the New Testament body. This was a great place to come. It's a great place to fellowship. But this place is important. You need to walk into this property or walk on this property or come into this building understanding this is an important place. This is not a social club. This is not like the Rotary Club. This is not like some kind of meeting of the high order. But this is the house of God. This has been dedicated to His glory. This is not for our our applause, but this is for His applause. And so this place is important. When it's important, I need... I'll treat it differently. Amen. How many of you have shoes that you work in? Anybody got any shoes that you work in? What do they look like? How many of you have new shoes? Anybody got any new shoes? Some of you got some new shoes. Now I want to ask you a question. Would you come to church in your working shoes? Why? Because they're not... They, they, they don't, they don't, they don't reach the level of cleanliness. At the same time, I'm not going to take my new shoes and go out and work in the garden. At least I won't if I'm a wise person or I have two pair of work shoes. The point is, there's some things you need to learn how to value so that you don't let them be used in the wrong way. It was a man that was traveling in, in the state of Alabama and they had stopped at a gas station and they were fueling up as a couple of preachers and they were on their way to a meeting and up next to them pulled a nice beautiful truck pulling a trailer that had the most gorgeous antique car they had ever seen. And they were just enthralled. And they, after they got their gas, they were just walking around looking at it. It was impeccable. There wasn't a flaw on it. There wasn't a rock chip anywhere. And, and, and it looked like a showpiece. And finally, the owner came by and saw them looking. And he struck up a conversation. And, and one of them finally said, sir, I just need to know something. Does, is this just a showpiece? He said, oh, no. I drive it all the time. He said, well, how in the world can you keep it so clean? And there's no rock chips and there's no flaws, there's no marks. He said, oh, that's easy. There's some roads I just don't travel down. There's just some roads I refuse to travel down. It's not worth the price. Amen. Don't undervalue. Or don't devalue the existence of an altar or a monument, a landmark. And don't ever berate its purpose. It's there for a reason. You may not be wise enough to know why it's there yet, but one of these days you'll wake up and realize, I'm so glad that was there. Amen. I'm closing. Come on, stand with me. Landmarks often tell a story. A story of victories won and enemies overcome and deliverance experienced. Help received and renewal given and escape made possible. We need to value our landmarks. I'm going to very quickly go through, and I don't have time to preach about it all, but maybe in the next few weeks I can come back to this. As strange as it may sound, we need to value Bethlehem. We need to value the God-man that was born of a virgin girl. We live in a culture right now that is doing everything it can to unravel the truth 
of that virgin birth. But I'm thankful that I still believe. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And they called his name Jesus. Amen. Folks, that's the foundation of everything we hold dear. Don't ever let anybody talk you out of believing that. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody berate you for believing in that. Young people that are in school right now, don't you let any educated mind try to trick you into believing that he did not come as the scripture says. He did come as that. And the reason he is powerful tonight in our lives is because he came exactly like he said he would come. Man, there's so many others. Memorials. Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Everybody needs to understand the value of Gethsemane. It's a conquering place. It's a dying place. It was in that place where Jesus brought the will of the flesh into submission to the will of the Father. Golgotha, we must never forget Calvary. We must never forget. I thought about it when we were singing a while ago about the blood. How how you can become calloused to what the blood really represents. And I know in the culture we live in, a lot of churches don't even use the word blood. They don't even let it be used in their songs any longer. But I have news for you. As long as you come to this church and I'm here, the blood's going to be sang about. The blood's going to be talked about because it's the blood that washed my sins away. It's the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood that has made me whole. But most important of all, we must remember that Calvary was the price of my sin. My sin. And it was the place of God's immeasurable love toward me. In that while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. He died for you. Some of you don't even think about yourself as ever being a sinner, but you were born that way. You were shapen in iniquity. <laughs> oh, yes, but thank God for Calvary. What I was, I don't have to keep being. What I used to be, I'm not anymore. Thank God for an empty tomb. I'm thankful that we still believe in a resurrected God, Christ. We still believe in a resurrected. I'm thankful for Pentecost. I am thankful for the power and the message of Pentecost. And I want to tell you what I think we need to make sure we do. We need to maintain and preserve the language of Pentecost. I'm not talking about just speaking in other tongues. I'm talking about the message that came on the day of Pentecost. Repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues. 
I'm talking about understanding that the power that fell that day is still falling. Amen. It's still falling. When Nehemiah had, com- had completed the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and had gone back to report what had happened in his absence, some things began to change. There were those that moved into the place of worship. And over a process of time, a change took place so that when Nehemiah finally returned and he began to go through the city, you'll read this in the latter part of the book of Nehemiah chapter, I think it's in the last chapter. The Bible said that Nehemiah became angry because he heard the children Unable to speak the language of the Jew. They spoke a broken dialect. Half this and half that. And the Bible says that Nehemiah got so mad that he cursed. That's pretty bad when a preacher gets mad enough. But he he, he was angry. And he drove them out. And he did so because they had un, they, they had failed to value their language. And all it takes is for a generation to quit valuing the language of Pentecost until it starts being tweaked and all these little phrases start creeping in. And pretty soon we have a mixed dialect. We don't know what we are. We better understand that there's a distinctive sound that should come when the Pentecostal spirit involved. There should be a distinctive sound when God's presence fills a place. And we better preserve that language. Come on, clap your hand to the Lord and give him praise. (coughs) Hallelujah. I want to close service as our families. I want you to get with your family. Because the most valuable thing you have right now is your family. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your position. It's more important than your money. Your family. How valuable that family is to God. To His divine purpose. Amen. Come on. If you don't have family, then adopt a family tonight. This is adopt a family night. Get somebody to come. Come on. Brothers, sisters, become somebody's spiritual brother or sister. Amen. Come on, everybody. Everybody. Come on. Crowd up here front. Close. Come on. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that you will never, ever, never, ever undervalue what you have right now around you. Whether you get along all the time or not, you need to learn how to pray through all that, but you better value what God has given you because one of these days you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for what God put in your possession and I want to be able to stand there with clean hands and a clean heart and say God I did everything I could to preserve the landmarks. I did everything I could to make sure that I never blurred the lines, that I never delineated, that I never added to or I took away. And I want you to pray with your family right now that God will help us to understand how critical, how critical our families are and how much we need 
an understanding of the value of what we're doing right now. That is the strength of every church. That is the strength of our future. And your blessings, Lord, that it be upon us today. I pray. voice out right now. Pray for your family. In the name of Jesus, I pray your blessings. I pray your anointing. I pray your spirit. It would be released in our lives. The value, understanding what we are and who we are. Pentecost. Oh God, help us to, to never to never, never lose touch with those things, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You need to talk about it around your table. You need to talk about it at home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let me read to you what happens when you fail to value the preservation of our language as a people. He said, in their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language but according to the language of each people. This is what stirs me about that passage. That when we start losing our language, there comes a point where you can't even speak it. And there are churches all over this country right now that used to know the language of Pentecost, but because they started moving landmarks, they started moving reference points, they can't even formulate the word. They don't even, they, they have, they, they're, they're not even a good imitation. And I'm not making fun tonight. I'm just telling you. We better never, ever lose the value of what we are. God, I want, I want my children. I want my fan, my family. I want my friends to know that it's okay to be Pentecostal. Amen. It is. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about an experience. It is a way of life. Praise God. Thank you for being here tonight. I hope that you will always value the voice of the, of the preacher in your life as well. You know, I, it's kind of humorous sometimes. People say, Pastor, they call you that. And then when you have to be that, they call you something else. <laughs> yeah. I'm pastor as long as I don't cross you. I'm pastor as long as I don't get in your ways. I don't, I don't mess with your plans. But you need somebody that can stand in your life. I'm not, I'm not asking you to let it be me, but you better have somebody that can speak into your life. Somebody that can say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. That's not a good direction. 
Come on, come back this way. It's unsafe that way. Amen. You better, you better pray that there's never a silence in this pulpit. Man, there's always strength to declare the word of the Lord because that's the foundation upon which we build our lives and it's unshakable. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. We are eternally grateful. We're grateful tonight for the blood that was shed, for the pain that you suffered We're grateful tonight, Lord, for every gift, every blessing that has come into our lives because of the church. Help us to never fail to embrace it, to love it, to appreciate it, to value it, Lord, that we would never, never be guilty of trying to move a landmark so we could be a little more comfortable. So we would feel a little more at ease, God. I I, I want to remain true to those reference points. I want to live my life and govern it according to those reference points. God, help me that I would ever be faithful to them. And I pray, God, that you will open doors and you will move in this place. I believe that we we are getting ready to enter into a season... God, that is going to move us into an exponential growth of spirit. I believe that, God. I believe that you have brought us to this place. We have been through darkness and trouble, and we have been through tears and sorrow. But, God, tonight we stand here declaring that you are still the most important thing in our life, and you are still the center of our being. And your kingdom is going to come in this community. And it's going to come through us. You're going to use us. Lord, you're going to use us to reach people. To affect our world. So that great revival would come to our community. And many would be saved. And many would be healed. And many would be delivered. I'm thanking you for that tonight, Lord. I give you praise for what you're you're preparing. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, in Jesus' name. Mm.